0: Welcome to Fintech Insider Interviews. My name is David Breer, and for a change, we're coming to you from a very sunny London. I'm kind of freaking out, I'll be honest with you. We even sort of pulled up the sleeves for a second, which is quite bizarre for me. Today, I've got the pleasure of talking to Paul Lippman. Paul, you're the CEO of BullGuard, which is an amazing company. I've just been learning about some of the new things you've been doing and really looking forward to getting into that.
1: Great, great to be here and good to meet you.
0: No problem. So tell me a little bit more about your background then. I'm sure this isn't what you've always been doing. Um, how did you get to here?
1: So I've been in the security business for uh, about 11 years now, and and interestingly, I first got into security, I had a a laptop that got infected with spyware, and and I tried kind of everything that was out there to try to clear it up, nothing worked, and uh, a colleague of mine recommended uh, a company as product, a company called Webroot, I had a product called SpySweeper, recommended that product, Mm -hmm. tried it out, cleaned the machine up, and I said, you know, this is really kind of an interesting feel uh, that somebody could infect my machine so badly as to render it inoperable, called up the company and about three months later I started
0: working there and have been in the field ever since. Wow, it's amazing Like how many of those stories come from I had a problem or there was a, a company that really inspired me. So they clearly sort of got under your skin very quickly, huh? Yeah, it's a fascinating field. I mean, the thing about security
1: is it is a continual, really a battle between the, the bad actors and, and the industry to try to stay ahead of the threats and to try to keep uh, customers protected. So not only are we kind of in business to be in business, but there's actually a real social good to what we're doing in security as well.
0: Yeah, we're, we're definitely seeing that in the cybersecurity space. You know, it's becoming a, a bit of an arms race, isn't there? The, the, uh, the bad guys are as moving as quickly as the good guys, aren't they?
1: Yeah, and, and that's kind of just the unfortunate fact of the matter is that the underlying infrastructure of the internet is is in some ways kind of fundamentally fragile, and so until we truly address kind of the underlying architecture, topology uh, of the internet itself, there will continually be this kind of one-upmanship between
0: the bad guys and the good guys uh, in the cyber field. That's quite scary, isn't it? But just when banks thought core banking was the uh, the legacy system they had to deal with, now we're replacing the entire of the internet. Tell me a little bit more about BullGuard, though, because uh, you guys are doing really interesting things. Yeah, so we've been in business
1: since 2002. Uh, and the company was originally founded uh, in Denmark, actually by the same guy who uh, was the original investor in Skype. So a bit of an interesting backstory there. Uh, we protect millions of people around the world today, protecting their, their PCs, their Macs, their smartphones, their tablets, uh, and recently uh, have been expanding into smart home cybersecurity. We see that as the next kind of real growth area of of threat for consumers and we'll be bringing out a new product called Dojo by BullGuard in the next couple of weeks here, initially in the US and shortly thereafter in the UK to solve the problem of keeping people protected as they bring all of these new devices into the home.
0: Wow. And we've seen recently actually, I guess, more you know, older devices causing the problem, uh, devices and software. You know, the hack that happened recently with XP. You know, it seems like it's legacy software, and I think Simon described it as a sort of a stupidity tax in terms of uh, anybody who's still using XP probably needs to know better. But do you see legacy technology sort of causing a lot of the security problems that we see today?
1: Yeah. Look, I mean, I think the the fundamental issue that we have in security is that um, software, as it gets more complex. Uh, It just has vulnerabilities. There's there's no two ways about it. Any software system, any hardware system with enough resources and with enough motivation can be hacked. So you have, you know, the example here in the UK of the NHS. You may have uh, a server running XP, running medical records. It hasn't been touched for 10 years. A patch comes along. Well, if I'm the the IT guy for that hospital, yes, I could deploy that patch. But what else is that going to touch? What else is that going to break? and it becomes a question over the expedient, over the, over the necessary. And so, stupidity, I maybe wouldn't put it that bluntly, but, but ultimately we are paying the price for relying on very old software that has vulnerabilities, and maybe many of those vulnerabilities that haven't been touched or updated for many, many years. And so, I think we'll continue to see, and if it's not XP, it'll be the next thing, where a vulnerability is found. And I think what specifically was the real issue in the WannaCry, situation was there was this unknown vulnerability. Um, Now, the vulnerability had been leaked, but nevertheless we find vulnerabilities all the time. But it had been weaponized by uh, kind of marrying it up with a worm that enabled it to spread very, very quickly. And the challenge is this stuff is out there. You can buy, you know, ransomware kits on, on the black market. You can even rent ransomware as a service these days. It comes with its own help desk and service center. Um, so, you know, we haven't seen the end of these kind of problems. Yeah.
0: And it feels like specifically within banking, obviously, banks, money, you know, if there's money in it, then people generally try a little bit harder, right. don't they? So w- what can banks do to protect their customers a little bit more? Uh, it feels like many are either a bit ignorant to internet security, even if it's smallest form. But what what do you think banks can do to to protect customers more?
1: Yeah, I I think, look, I think there's a couple of really interesting trends, uh, significant trends that we're seeing in banking. Certainly the move to mobile banking has been an enormous trend over the last couple of years. Uh, I I think what you have to assume, and certainly in in kind of the the, uh, industrial area or in the military area, you, you kind of operate under this assumption that all of my devices are infected. And if I assume that all of my devices are infected, how can I then act in such a way as to ensure um, the kind of sanctity and security of connections and credentials? Uh, And and there are now similar technologies that are emerging in the consumer area. So Google, for example, uh, just recently had their I.O. conference uh, and they announced a technology called, I believe it's called Verified Apps. So it's an API that an app developer can call to say, is the device that I'm running on secure is it clean so uh, if i am a bank and i'm developing an app or i'm a i'm a new financial services startup and i'm developing an app that would be one example of a way to ensure that the endpoint and ultimately the endpoints are the things that the hackers really go after that the endpoint is clean that it hasn't been compromised and then i know i can trust that endpoint as part of the conversation with the server uh, so that's one just one example of things that banks can do really proactively to ensure the safety and security of their customers.
0: Yeah, that, that sounds great because that, that verified service would be fantastic, wouldn't it? I, I guess the, the challenge to a certain degree at the moment is the the regulators and everybody's really sort of pushing banks to get more and more open, aren't they? So with the advent of something like PSD2 and you know APIs being exposed for for data and for payments and kind of services around that, the, the landscape changes quite dramatically, doesn't it? Um, yeah,
1: and I, and I think there's a real barrier here um, for, I think would one of the fascinating Things that's happening in financial services is just the number of of new startups that are coming in and disrupting the landscape. But when you look at an organisation like J P Morgan Chase uh, that spends five hundred million dollars a year on cybersecurity, that's their budget, and that's up from two hundred and fifty million the year before. So they've doubled the budget year over year. And then you ask yourself, well, how can the small guys possibly kind of be up at the same kind of level in terms of the investments they're making? in cyber, I think that raises a really interesting question for how can we support diversity, how can we support innovation, but at the same time deliver security and safety.
0: It's interesting, isn't it? There's there's often the the conversation around security moves to a, you can secure the systems as much as you like, but essentially the the flaws are usually the people. Uh, And definitely I've seen that with some of the the hacks that have happened in in banks. It's usually the the most vulnerability is reverse engineering or social engineering of of human beings. I guess there, really, the, the thing that they can do is education, right? You know, it's very interesting you say that,
1: because when I was walking in here just half an hour ago in the lobby, I received an email ostensibly from my CFO saying, Paul, can you please approve this wire transaction? <laughs> and, and I knew that wasn't from him, but, you know, we, we see the example of the Bank of, of Bangladesh, yeah. where $84 million was stolen through, through a phishing attempt. So you can have the most secure systems in the world, but as you say, you can you always have to account for the human element in the
0: transaction. That's why we need robots controlling everything and we'll be fine, right? We can kick it on the beach and those guys can sort all the let's, stuff out. Let's hope not. <laughs> so moving, I guess, forward, in fact, my house is full of IoT devices. I've got Nest and, uh, you know, that I can hue lighting and all sorts of things. Even my washing machine these days is uh, IoT enabled and I can tell with an app when the cycle is finished in all of these different things. I guess this is an area that you guys are moving into very heavily with the the product that's just coming out, right?
1: Yeah, I mean the issue that, that we're seeing and the reason we think this is uh, really the next frontier for consumer uh, privacy and security is if you think about what these devices are, the Nest, the washing machine, and all the other devices that you mentioned, they're essentially small fairly powerful computers, sure. but they're computers that you can't run any form of antivirus software on, right? How would you load software onto a Nest? You can't, it's, it's locked down. But at the same time, what most of the device manufacturers are really focused on, they're optimizing time to market. It's a fast moving market. They want to get the new products out as quickly as they can. Yeah. They're optimizing for costs, so they want to produce them as cheaply as they can. Mm-hmm. So they don't really have the the motivation, the incentive, uh, or really the capability to really build any form of security into those devices. So now you've gone from a world in which maybe in your house you would have had a couple of PCs, a smartphone, a tablet, to where you've essentially got a network of 30 or 40 devices, most of which are not protected in any way. Mm -hmm. It's just a kind of a golden age for, for hackers and cyber criminals to take advantage of that. So that's the problem that we've set out to solve with the Dojo product.
0: Okay, Tell, tell us a little bit more about it, then. Because I, I guess the more I think about the vulnerabilities of the things that I've got in my house, the more I'm worried about it, if I'm honest with you. You know, having Alexa as a internet-enabled a device for buying things, and a Nest Cam that can be used to, you can tap into and use your voice over. Like, I'm kind of flicking very quickly to somebody using Nest to basically buy something on Alexa, like, without me even knowing about it, Absolutely. which is terrifying. Or, so.
1: or open the front door of your house, or there's all of those kind of, of, of threats. The other side of it as well, if you think about, say, a connected television, uh, that's really a pretty powerful computer, but an unprotected computer that could then be hacked, That could sniff into all the traffic on your network and get your banking credentials, your credit card information, your identity information. So there's a range of threats here. What what we've done with Dojo is to develop uh, essentially an enterprise class network security service, but delivered it in a way that's extremely simple and and easy for consumers to implement and use. So I'll I'll take it out and show you here. So this is the Dojo. Um, So there's essentially two components, Um, this is the actual dojo, this is the brains of the service. So very simple gateway device plugs into your router or if you have a separate router modem, it it acts in bridge mode between the two. And and essentially this is acting as the gateway. So this takes over DHCP, every device on your network, the traffic comes through the dojo. Uh, We don't look at the content, we don't care about the content, we're not looking at where you go or what you do or your banking transactions we're looking at the security metadata. What IP address are you communicating with? What protocols are you communicating over? What's the packet size? And continually learning Mm -hmm. about traffic patterns and behavior. So you mentioned you have a Nest camera, right? So what a Nest camera is designed to do is a pretty simple job. It, It takes video and it sends that video to a server, to Google servers. If we see that Nest camera all of a sudden sending large files upstream to a server in China, let's say, for example, well, we'll identify that as anomalous behavior and we'll be able to prevent that from happening, not just for you, but for all of the customers in our network and lock that down automatically on a global basis. So it's about preventing the bad traffic from coming in, the hacks from coming in, but it's also about protecting those devices from being compromised and from your information and your privacy being compromised on the outbound direction as well.
0: Well, That's, that's, Pretty impressive, because it, again, it, it feels like having that vulnerability now makes, uh, like you say, the speed to market of these things, people coming out, they really haven't considered all of these angles, have they? Right,
1: and they're not they're not motivated to in any way. I think one of the things that we're going to see as more and more things become connected, uh, and eventually, you know, five years from now, I think it'll be almost impossible to buy any consumer electronics product without some form of connectivity. Yep. We go from a world where we're thinking about cyber security to a world where we're thinking about the security of everything. Mm. And then it becomes a matter of public welfare. And then I think we're going to see governments, and already the EU is starting to talk about this kind of certification of IoT for for security and privacy, that the landscape changes dramatically. I don't think that ultimately governments have the technical wherewithal. to to really be able to, if we rely on legislation, you know, it's going to take years for that to work its way through, um, which is why I think it's incumbent upon companies like BullGuard to step in and and attempt to provide services that solve the problem now. So what's the other part of the device? Yeah, so the other part, this is uh, what we call uh, the Pebble, and the Pebble's a notification device. So that device, you know, if you think about where your router lives in the home, it's typically in a closet, in a basement, um, and when you plug the dojo in, that's probably where the dojo will live as well. The Pebble's a notification device that can live anywhere in the house. It yeah. communicates through uh, low-power BLE with the dojo. Three-color language, green, everything's good with the network. Mm-hmm. Yellow, we found a threat, we've blocked the threat automatically. Yeah. And red, there's an action that you need to take. So maybe we notice someone is connecting to your camera. Well, that may be you, you're out the road, you want to connect in, check if everything's okay. It may be someone who's trying to access the camera for malicious purposes, and you can choose just to allow a block, and from that point onwards, uh, we'll take that action. And then we have a, a smartphone app that you use for just kind of general day-to-day interaction with the dojo.
0: It was interesting as you said about the, this isn't just about an individual household, but actually that you'd monitor activity at a more Uh, significant level. So if you see an attack that's happening in isolation it's one thing, but actually if you're seeing a sort of systematic attack across multiple devices of similar types that you could see that trend, is that right? Yeah, so it's really, kind of think of it as crowdsourced cybersecurity
1: in a way. We're taking data, metadata, so not personal data, just metadata across the entire network, and we do this on the antivirus side as well, to learn about threats and identify what are called zero-day attacks, attacks that haven't been seen before, to identify those in real time and then be able to block them automatically across the entire customer base. And we've built a series of machine learning systems in the background that take all of this data, billions of data points uh, across the, uh, the entirety of our customer base to understand and learn about attacks and be able to take action to prevent them.
0: Great. feels like I need one. So, uh, I will. Uh, when do they come out? Uh, so, we're launching uh, May
1: 31st okay, uh, great. initially online in, in the US and very shortly thereafter here
0: in the UK as well. Perfect. Well, look out for that. The Financial Times guides you through complex issues. In divisive times, don't settle for black and white. When you need the full perspective, turn to FT.com. Become a subscriber today. Search for FT subscription.
1: Critical Mass, that's what turns the smallest ventures into life-changing forces. Reach Critical Mass by joining Temenos Open Marketplace for fintechs, opening up access to 2,000 of the world's largest financial institutions. Don't just take our word for it. Temenos Marketplace has just won Reader's Choice Best Emerging Innovative Technology Product and Service at the 2016 Banking Technology Awards. Join Temenos now. We make the money go round.
0: Let's be honest. Most digital banking experiences just aren't that amazing. Learn how more than 180 banks worldwide, including Barclays, Deutsche Bank and BBVA, innovate faster with Strands as their trusted fintech partner. To find out more, visit strands.com today. I guess, you know, moving back to security, you know, something that maybe fintech players are, are not really that focused on initially, it's similar to what you were saying I guess about a lot of the IoT people, you know, it's, it's about speed to market, it's about getting in, into the the position to be acquiring customers. What advice would you give to some of the fintech players that are, are, are really sort of trying to break into this space?
1: Yeah, so I, uh, despite the accent, I actually live in Silicon Valley, I've lived there for over 20 years. Uh, so. Whenever I come back to the UK, I like to kind of watch some British television, although it's not what it was in my childhood. So actually, just a a few nights ago, I was watching uh, Britain's Got Talent, and there was this guy on there, Japanese guy, who was swallowing razor blades and then bringing them back up again on a string. It was amazing. They flashed up on the screen, don't try this at home. And, And that would, I think... Uh, That would be the advice I would give to fintech startups, you know, um, startups should be focusing on the thing that distinguishes them in the market, the thing that they can do that no one else in the world can do, uh, the real kind of core value of their business, and, and should be looking to partner with platform providers, with cloud services providers that can bring the security stack to the table, because this is an immensely complex undertaking. uh, Extremely expensive to do in isolation and there's a lot of companies out there that can be partnered with in order to bring true best-in-class security capabilities to the table in partnership with whatever disruptive technology they happen to be developing.
0: I think that's spot on. Like I say, it, it feels like sticking to the thing that you're really, really good at and actually bringing in expertise for the things that actually, again, it feels almost like that arms race, right? You know, you get to the point where, you're better off bringing in people who are continually staying on, on top of this Absolutely. than than trying to recruit somebody and make yeah. them that person. Yeah. So, uh, and I think that's definitely some of the approaches that I've seen probably deployed best in the market today. So, uh, so maybe a little bit more about you as well. So, I guess you know you've had a really interesting career in terms of what you're doing. What would you say is the the highlight of what you've done with with Bullguard?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think so. I've been with BullGuard now for only 18 months, which in technology is, what like seven years and dog years or whatever they say. I think for me, the real highlight has been the acquisition of Dojo. And I think for uh, a couple of reasons. And number one, um, you know, a lot of times you find technology companies that kind of try to stray too far from their swim lane. Yeah. So, you know, an antivirus company that says, wow, we, we think smart home cybersecurity looks like a great market. Let's try and take our technology, our people, our skills, our understanding, and apply them in that new market. At BullGarb, we took a different approach, was to say, we know this is gonna be a really compelling market, but it's not a market that we have capability or knowledge in. So let's go find the best people in the world at doing that, let's partner up with them, let's bring our capabilities to the table, our resources, our market presence, our brand, let's bring their expertise and their technology marry those together and to provide a really compelling entry point into that new market opportunity and I I think that's been a tremendously uh, rewarding experience for us to go through and we're just very excited to bring the product to market.
0: Yeah, the, the move from a sort of a service to a sort of a physical product, really interesting. So it's going to be really interesting to see how the, the market reacts to that. Yes. I guess, what's your productivity hack? How do you sort of stay on top of all of the things that you've got to do?
1: Yeah, there's, there's a couple of things there. I, I think So the first is BullGuard's a pretty global company. We have people in the U.S. I'm ostensibly based in the Valley, but actually pretty much live on an airplane Uh, We have a team in the UK, we have a a team, quite a large team in Bucharest and Romania. We now have a team in Israel. I have a a daily, uh, we call it a huddle meeting, with my management team every single day for just five or ten minutes. So rather than a typical kind of weekly meeting, hour long, certainly we have those. But every single day of the week, we get on the phone together for five minutes, talk about issues that need our attention to resolve as a team, and I've just found that a tremendously powerful way of staying on top of issues day to day and keeping the team coordinated across multiple geographies and multiple time zones. The other one, and this, this one I found to be really valuable, the temptation when you start your day, you know, you've had your cup of coffee, is right, first thing I do is open email and go through the to-do list that someone else has put together for me. Um, what I really try to do at the beginning of every day, uh, first of all, is to exercise. I find if I exercise first thing in the morning, then my energy level, my productivity through the day is magnified. Uh, Then sit down and just write out a list of what are the five most important things that I have to accomplish today. Mm -hmm. And ensure that by the end of the day, I've crossed all five of those off the list. Massive productivity multiplier.
0: Love that. Big fan of lists, like I say, you, uh, the benefit of writing them and actually the, the, the feeling of ticking them off as well, right? So it's a, a real good thing to do. Yeah. We always like to finish on this one, but what's the best bit of career advice that you've ever been given?
1: You know, I, I had a um, professor at business school uh, who said something to me that stuck with me through the years. Uh, he said, you know, Paul, there's, there's two kinds of roles, two kinds of people in companies that are really indispensable. It's people who build things and people who sell things. Now, I think there's tremendous value in all the, you need all the other functions that support the building and support the selling and the marketing, the finance and all the rest. But, but that, that piece of advice really has guided me in my career. I started out actually in systems development programming and then moved into sales and business development roles further down the line. And that's certainly where I've really found the kind of passion and enjoyment in my career uh, over the years and, and the parts of the business that I kind of like to spend my time in. And and that's just been a, a
0: very rewarding kind of aspect of my career certainly so far. Brilliant, so you were a person who built things and you're a person who sell things and now you do a bit of both, which yeah, is fantastic. I can be a little bit dangerous in both areas. Indeed, well that's, that's always a good place to be. Paul, thank you very much for joining Great. us on FinTech Insider. Really appreciate you coming in. Thanks very much, nice Thanks. to meet you.